All right. Well, welcome to our second episode of Blunt and Based. I am Based. I'm very blunt. Um, we are joined with a very special guest today. I know you as Austin Unbridled. I think you have an incredible testimony that more people need to hear. Um, so welcome to the show. Thank you for Austin. having me. What an honor to be here with both of you guys. I'm a big fan of your content creation. I hate when you guys get booted from TikTok, but somehow the algorithm always brings us all back together. And um, yes, yeah, it does. It's funny that way because I always see people pop up. Um, almost immediately when I make a new account of all of the people that I used to follow and connect with. So it is really cool. And I'm, I know I haven't seen you in forever. I will make an observation. Um, you look different. It's crazy, right? You like, you look good, but you look different. Like I didn't even recognize you. Yeah. I mean, that's, so I've been, um, well, I've been on testosterone for, uh, just over three months now. And that has had a profound difference for me. Um, I, I've been eating differently um, for, for pretty much my entire life. I've struggled with anorexia and eating just, and other like various, you know, um, types of eating disorder, just, just a very unhealthy type of disordered way of eating. And I, in my transition, I always basically starved myself to stay as skinny and as non-muscular as I could in order to pass better. But as soon as I started taking estrogen or as soon as I started taking testosterone, um, I, the, this like hunger inside of me that was insatiable came forth. And I swear I eat like 10 times more per day. Um, I also started, um, you know, drinking milk and going to the gym and exercising and trying to get my caloric intake higher um, so that I would put on some weight and build some muscle. I'm still working on that. I'm actually in the Planet Fitness parking lot. So after this, uh, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to sweat it out. Um, <laughs> but uh, I love to hear that. The testosterone has been profound. I mean, it is not only um, has it given me a sense of confidence that I uh, really didn't have for a long time, uh, uh, like a, a complete release from different forms of anxiety that I struggled with. Who would have thought it? Maybe it was just low T the whole time that, you know, caused me mm -hmm. to feel not like a man, not like, you know, I don't, I still don't necessarily, I don't know what feeling like a man is just like in the 22 years I lived as a transgender woman. I never knew what feeling like a woman was. I think, Today, these days, we put entirely too much emphasis on feeling like dot, 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 instead like of- Like the stereotypical exactly, instead male of just and being female. It. Yeah, instead of just being yeah. it, you know, like if, if a man can wear a dress and a woman can, you know, have facial hair, why can't you just be proud to be in that? Why do you, why is there this push to change your body, change your voice, change your face, change your hair, like change everything, you know? Um, and testosterone really kind of with the help of, uh, you know, God, who's like my Lord and savior. Um, the, the two things together have alleviated a lot of shenanigans that I felt about myself, a lot of like, you know, personal anguish about my presentation. And, um, you know, a couple of days ago I, I went, I went to a barbershop and I got a haircut. I was really holding on to that mullet. Um, because I just, 
you know, I had it for, I had long hair for over 10 years. Um, and it was like a security blanket. Yeah. And, and, uh, I actually really enjoyed on TikTok lives when people would call me Joe dirt. And I was like, I would always <laughs> flip it on them and say, well, you know, the story of Joe dirt is, is, you know, he's like a Christ figure. It's a redemption story. Um, he comes along, everyone beats him and makes fun of him, but he changes everyone's life for the positive and never lets that get him down. So when people would say that they thought they were going to try to hurt me, but I actually took it as a compliment. Um, plus that movie is hilarious. It is funny. It is really funny. <laughs> uh, so a lot of people are, are ignorant to your story. I know it because immediately when I saw you come up on my feed on TikTok, I, we connected immediately. Definitely. Um, you were one of my first followers. Uh, but a lot of people are ignorant. Tell us your story, um, however comfortable you are, but bring it like back to the beginning. Tell us about sure. what your journey has been. I'll just, I'll just make it brief. Cause, um, it's all on my TikTok. If you want to see the more detailed versions, you guys can go over there. But the, the, the basic gist is, um, when I was five years old, my mom died. And when I was eight years old, I was molested by an older boy in an after school care program. And those two things caused me to have all kinds of personal confusion about a lot of different things. And I was a very like, you know, kind of sassy, effeminate little boy. And a lot of my family thought that I would just grow up to be gay. I found that out much later. Um, but when I started going through puberty, I started really struggling with like same sex attraction. I was like, am I into boys? Am I into girls? And I grew up in, a um, assemblies of God, Christian school, um, from the seventh grade to 12th grade. And, um, you know, I, I really like processed my mom dying and going to heaven and like living this, you know, on a cloud, this perfect life. And I didn't want to do anything in this life that would keep me from seeing her again. So I really struggled. I really, really struggled with, um, you know, being attracted to both men and women. And the school that I went to, it was the 90s. They were Pentecostal. You know, they were very anti-gay. And my, my high school superlative was um, most likely to move to New York City and become an interior designer. So if that isn't code for growing up and becoming a homosexual, I don't know what is. Um, but whatever. Like I just went and I lived my life. But as soon as I turned 18, I moved to New York city and I, I, I wanted to go to design school and I got kind of swept up by, um, the club scene. I went to limelight and tunnel and just like partied a lot. And I, I met some trans women through the club and through the thrift store that I was volunteering at. And it kind of like checked a lot of boxes and I had also been spending a lot of time on like AOL instant messenger and these AOL chats trying to figure out like, am I gay? Am I a woman trapped in a man's body? You know, cause I had seen that on Sally, Jesse Raphael when I was a kid and I was like, wow, you can get a sex change. You can become a woman, you know, like it was the nineties. There wasn't really like discourse about it. Um, and so I just got kind of latched onto that idea. I was like, yeah, I think, I think I'm a trans woman. I think I'm, you know, a girl trapped in a woman's body and, um, nine 11 happened. And I was super triggered by that because I felt like the end times were about to happen. Cause Pentecostals are very like end times preparation minded. And I thought that that was a sign that the world was ending and it might've been, we still don't know. Um, but 
that right there was like, well, if I'm going to die, if, you know, a building can just blow up and I could happen to be like two miles away from it, what are the chances, you know, that I'm just going to die? So let me die a woman. And I had seen, I had seen, I don't, I don't even remember a book in my transition, like research called let me die a woman or something. It was very dramatic. And I was a very dramatic child. Um, and it, it made a lot of sense. And, uh, I moved to Savannah and I met some trans women at the local gay club and they helped me figure out how to get on street hormones and how to get on, um, you know, puberty block, well, not puberty blockers, but like androgen blockers, uh, spironolactone. It, it keeps testosterone from being created. And I was very twinky, you know, I was a twink when I was a, a young gay boy and, and it was very like the, the estrogen that they gave me was Premarin which now we know causes like lots of cancer and they put me on that. And I, within like, you know, six months I was passing better. And then, um, I was going to therapy and the therapy was like, you know, very affirming. It was a, she was a nice therapist, but, um, you know, maybe it was a little bit less like critical thinking and more like, Oh, maybe you really are, you know? And she had the DSM and she's like, okay, check this box, check this box, you know? And, um, when I was 20, I ended up getting facial feminization surgery from Dr. Douglas Osterhout. He's the like founder of modern facial feminization surgery. And I had been in a car wreck with my mom and I had a, a lot of injury as a child to that from that car wreck. And I got an insurance settlement for like a couple hundred thousand dollars. And I just went crazy. I, I was like, well, this is this is the universe telling me this is God saying, you know, here's the money to make this thing happen. It'll save you. You know, the, the doctors are all saying this is like going to make you not want to kill yourself. This is going to make you feel better. You, this is going to make you right in your body. And I just submitted to that because doctors had saved my life at five years old. So why wouldn't they save me again? You know, and I just got swept up into it. And so before I was even old enough to drink, I had a full facial feminization surgery. And from that moment on, it, I just passed very, very well. Um, and it was 2002. So, or 2003 at that point when I had facial surgery. Um, so nobody knew about what it was. Nobody knew, you know, and then I, I went and I lived, um, about eight years before I detransitioned for the first time all throughout that first transition. I really struggled because every time I met someone that I liked, I would, you know, tell them I was trans and that first of all, they wouldn't know what that was. And then as soon as I would tell them or show them what that was, they would just dip. So it was like heartache after heartache after heartache. And eventually by 28, I just realized I, I can't do this anymore. This is psychotic. Like, what am I doing? So I detransitioned and, but I detransitioned into like kind of a non-binary androgynous because I mean, I couldn't really pass very masculine and my body produced such low T naturally that I just was very still kind of seen as a woman by like randos. Um, and after a couple years, I ended up retransitioning because my entire social network was still trans people who were constantly saying like, you just have internalized transphobia. You just have internalized trans misogyny. You hate yourself. You need to accept yourself, you know? And it felt like, I had been shunned from the club and that felt really terrible. So I ended up retransitioning. And in that second transition, I went full, full, you know, I had a castration. I ended up eventually getting bottom surgery and living for about another 10 years before uh, 2020. I just realized what the hell this is like, you know, in that 
second transition, I had had seven transgender male to female friends commit suicide. And these were people that I really looked up to. And I thought, oh man, she's got her shit together. Like this one, oh, so I don't know if I can cuss. I apologize, but. Um, you, you can cuss. Okay. Um, this one has her, her life together. And then this one is, you know, doing great. And this one had surgery and she seems so happy. And then boom, these people just kill themselves. And then you're like left behind thinking, oh shit, well, I'm feeling like I should kill myself all the time. What, what's stopping me if, if it didn't stop them, you know? So that ideation never went away. It actually just got worse. And seeing people I loved and cared about and respected and looked up to do, you know, leave, leave. It was really heartbreaking. And, um, once I, the, during the pandemic, a friend of mine committed suicide and she was missing for a few months, but I had had a dream that she was in a river. Like I saw her and another trans friend in a river. We were like walking and splashing through this like shallow river. So I knew she was immediately like dead and had ended up in a river. And it turned out a few months later when they found her, she had jumped from a bridge and her body had been washed down and she was stuck in like a culvert. Very, really horrifying stuff, you know? And, and at that point, it was right around the time that I got saved and just the combination of the two things together was like a big billboard that was right in front of my eyes. You know, the, the, the scales had fallen from my eyes and I saw the truth. I saw like, you know, I did all those things. I had all the surgeries. I had everything that they said. I passed, you know, I, I like people outside of my private circle didn't really know that I was trans. Um, and so I did all the things that they said and it just turned out to be a nightmare and it never went away. And then, um, when I got saved, I felt like God was telling me that you have to detransition. You know, this is not like how he created me, but I fought him on that for a couple years. And then last year between Easter and Pentecost, I just did this like steady prayer fast where I focused, you know, d directly on like asking him, what do I do? What do I do? And I kept hearing the same thing. And I was literally on my land, which is totally isolated. And I was out there screaming, you know, like, how fucking dare you? Like, how, what am I supposed to do? You know, how am I going to be a man? Like, how am I going to do any of this? You know? And, um, the, what I kept hearing from him was you have to detransition your delusions first. So I, that was like a big, um, wake up call that like so much of this was just in my head the whole time. And where did it come from? You know, I, I don't know. But it, I think it came from trauma. I think it came from death and molestation and, and then having a single dad who berated me for being a sissy and called, called me a sissified sissy constantly, you know, which implies that, like, looking back now, sissified sissy implies that someone dominated you. They sissified you, you know, and it's so true because, I mean, I, an older boy did groom me and did trick me and molested me. And then, you know, I felt that shame for all those years. And so, yeah, it's just, it, it, sometimes, I mean, here I am on the other side of it and it's still like a complete mind, like what the hell happened, you know? And I feel like I woke yeah. up from a fugue state, like where did 22 years go? You know, like I'm 41 years old. I still feel way younger than that, but I, I feel like a huge chunk of my life was dedicated to this thing that I truly believed in that turned out to just be, you know, a facade, like a simulacrum, you know, like 
um, if the discourse about like what a woman is that we're having now was around 10 years ago, I don't think I ever would have retransitioned, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, first of all, that is an incredibly vulnerable and painful, um, experience. I, but however, I think it's so important that people like you have the courage to share that story and share the truths behind it because the the studies have shown and i have i have like read so many books one of the best books that i read about um the stats and the reality around transitioning is irreversible damage um because it was actually written by someone who was liberal Mm. um but because they were experiencing something in the home with their own child they started to go out and research and look at what was really happening with this transgender contagion that was going on and studies do show that the suicide rate tends to increase after the transition, um, not decrease. Like a lot of those trans activists on TikTok like to claim. Um, and and I continue to say, and I don't know if there are any studies on this yet, but I would love someone to explore this. Um, coming from someone who also experienced child sexual trauma um, I know that there is an element, an element of shame, an element of pain that I can see looking back how I, I fortunately was not in that situation where I went to these extremes to try and change who I was, but I can see how I tried to act more masculine. I tried to hide who I really was because I felt like the person who I was, was the person that ultimately got victimized. And to prevent that from happening to me again, I tried to, uh, you know, change my outer being thinking that that was going to fix, you know, what was wrong inside of me, the trauma that I was dealing with that I just didn't know how to handle. Um, and I look at, I, because I pay attention to a lot of these other trans activists that are out there on TikTok and other social media platforms And it is interesting to me that a lot of them share that same trauma. They share the same child sexual trauma. And it's almost like us as, you know, as those children who are experiencing something that we don't know how to deal with, um, are basically taking that and trying to create like a shield. We're trying to protect ourselves by changing what we are on the outside, thinking that is going to change um, that victim child that was ultimately, you know, um, experiencing that abuse. I, you know, there are no stats, there are no studies around it, but I just see a lot of that just in the observation of what's going on and me personally experiencing it. I can speak from that, you know, as far as how I felt and what, you know, what it did to me. So it is interesting that you say that. Um, What do you think ultimately, like what led you to this point to be so vocal? Because I know you take a lot of hate. I know you take a lot of criticism and you're basically ostracized from your own community. So what, what has prompted you to speak out and tell your story? Well, um, right before the pandemic, I had been volunteering at an LGBT drop-in center for youth and I was there just under a year and I started seeing 
things that didn't line up with what we had been told over the previous 10 years. Um, from I used to go to the Philadelphia Trans Health Conference like every year. I looked forward to it. It was a great way to network and to meet other trans people um, before TikTok. And there was there were um, there was such a push from like the Mazzoni Center, which is based out of Philadelphia, Callen Lord in New York, and some other ones. But those two were really like the front runners of transitioning kids on the East Coast, and you would see like trans kids, gender nonconforming kids at these, at these, um, uh, conferences and they seemed happy. They seemed like, okay, they're, you know, they're, they seem good. And like, okay, maybe this is actually, you know, like if I had could transition at five, maybe that would have been better for me. Maybe I wouldn't feel the way that I had felt, but then, you know, flash forward like 10 years later, some of these kids are now, the same generation of kids that are in the drop-in center that I'm at. And um, my job mostly there was just to be a lounge monitor to make sure that kids weren't like having sex in the bathroom or doing drugs or, you know, um, things like that, which we had those problems. But um, you would hear the conversations that they had. And, and I used to facilitate a couple of like trans femme um, discussion groups like weekly that we would have there. And the, the things that they would say just were, were like, were horrifying. You know, I noticed there was a really, there was a really like high rate amongst all of these different kids of different like genders, different uh, socioeconomic backgrounds in this group that had like delayed developmental um, processing. You know, you got like 15 year olds, but they seem like they're 10. Um we even had a 23-year-old who was aging out. And if I had not known how old she was, I would have thought she was maybe 14 tops. Um, there was a high inc- like a high incidence rate of cutting, self-mutilation. Um, there was these kids were consumed by their sexual fetishes. And and they had fetishes that they would talk about in this group that I thought to be the most extreme stuff you would see on the internet. Adult diapers, um, adult baby stuff, daddy, adult daddy, little girl, like age play, age play was a big thing. And I was like, wait, the kids are into this. I thought this was just like weird old guys who like dressing up like, you know, baby dolls, like very, the kind of, the kind of stuff you see on the internet that you wish you couldn't see. Um, uh, these kids had totally accepted it as normal. Sorry. Um, many of them, would yes and each other and he's like well i have did oh me too i have autism spectrum oh me too you know like i'm i'm multiple personalities oh me too they always would add these these things on like a badge of like a merit badge and i was like that's crazy and so almost all of them we one of the things that we had was some of the kids would watch porn on the computers that we had in the computer lab and we had a policy that like, you know, we would, we, the, the internet there was founded by the local cable company, Cox Cable. They gave us all the computers and, and paid the phone, the internet bill, but we had no restrictions on what the kids could look up. There was no like, you know, you got 13 year olds in there and t- up to 23. Um, so that right there, you have minors and kids of age and that's a 10 year difference, um, you know, for, 
if I had a minor, I wouldn't want anyone over 18 in there, you know, but yeah, that's how it was. And we had, we had people looking at porn and we'd have to go tell them, you know, like people can see what you're doing. You should probably like turn the computer instead of saying like, bro, you can't look at porn here. Come on. And then we had people that were claiming to be non-binary. We had a lot of, a lot of boys that were living on fourth Avenue, um, the street kids that would come in and claim to be non-binary, but they were totally straight to access the space, to get, you know, air conditioning, to hang out to get like lunches, snacks, things like that. And they would, they would constantly like misgender the other people, which would cause all kinds of chaos. And it was just, I started seeing like, this is not what, this is not what they told us trans youth could be. They said they would be like normal and they'd be happy. And none of them had jobs. They all had like government assistance, which is fine. They're kids, they're minors, you know, they should have some help. But they had no ambition to go to college or to do anything. A, a lot of the kids were already engaging in sex work. I had a 16-year-old uh, trans-identified male ask me, because I was doing sex work at the time, I guess he had found my profile on Eros, and asked me if I could help him get into it. And when that happened, I was like, oh my God, I have to go. And so I literally just quit. I was like, you know, I would sit in my car at the end of the day and just be like zombied out before I would go into my house. Like just trying to like some of the stuff that I would hear these kids say. And that really woke me up to like, maybe this is not for the kids. And then I started actually talking about that a little bit with some trans people my age. And they thought that that was crazy. They thought that I was you know, listening to Tucker Carlson too much. They always said, every time I said something, where'd you hear that, Tucker Carlson? And I was like super libtarded at the time. I, I, I hated, I even hated Trump, you know? I just like, I hated anything that wasn't like the LGBTQ victim narr narrative. Yeah. So I was like, no, I'm. this is like my literal, my experience. But they would downplay it as me yucking on these kids and, and everything and it just got to be insane. And I, that was it. And then when the pandemic happened and I got saved and I was like, I can't do this anymore. Um, that's where it all. And so I got on TikTok. you know, my pastor really encouraged me to start talking about my story. Cause I hadn't, hadn't really told anyone how I was feeling. I told my pastor and his wife and they took me out to lunch and we talked about it and they were like, you have to make a YouTube, you have to do something to tell this because my pastor is a doctor and, and he at his hospital, they 100% blanket affirm. And, and as, yeah. as a, a physician, I don't think he thinks that's the great idea. So I don't want to talk for him, but they were like, you have to, somebody from the inside has to talk out. And I, I didn't want to. And then I did. And, um, it, it has been negative from the community, but positive from people that I was told by the community literally wanted to murder me. And then the community says, well, that you're just like feeding into their narrative and you're just giving them fuel for the fire. And I'm like, maybe we do need to set fire to this. Maybe we do need to like burn this all down. And then I started doing research into John Money, Magnus Hirschfield, Kinsey, you know, yeah. then I started going yes. deep down rabbit holes. And I was like, wait a second, Harry Benjamin, you know, all of these guys that were doing medical experimentation on people, um, even like Mengele. Most of it was pedophilia. Most of, most it, of pedophilia. it, like, most of it was pedophilia. And people don't even understand that. And it's like, if you would just open your eyes and open a book, like I always tell people, go research Kinsey and the Kinsey Institute and see where all of that narrative came from. It's all pedophilia. Yep. It's so true. And they, it's, they've controlled the narrative. 
you know, and then you look at, oh, the same year that the modern LGBT rights movement was founded was the same year that NAMBLA was founded. And you look at Harry Hay, the founder of the Radical Fairies, you look at Harvey Milk, you look at Allen Ginsberg, you look at, there's a couple guys from England, um, all, even Marsha P. Johnson, I saw a video um, where she was basically like in a room with a bunch of very young, young men. Uh, I hate to even use she for Marsha because Marsha P. Johnson said, I'm a man. So he... But um, this is like the the darling of the movement, and there's pedophilia all the way mm-hmm. down. I mean, I was 18 years old yep. and in New York City, and I had access to this older guy's house named Billy. He was a very wealthy man, and he loved twinks. And he would pack taxi cabs full of us and take us to clubs. He would take boys home from the club. I was 18, so I was of age, but I know for a fact there were kids there that were 16, 15, uh, he had a thing for Asians. I wasn't Asian, so he never wanted sex with me. But, you know, I had access to the whole place. And it was basically just like, you know, uh, that, that like pleasure island in Pinocchio. All these young boys mm-hmm. and an old man. And, you know, he bought us yeah. food and fed us and gave us ketamine all the time. I mean, they were like cooking ketamine in the kitchen there. Um, like baking it, doing whatever they, whatever that process is, which was never really my thing. Um, I liked it a little bit, but, um, I, I told him, I think I want to transition. And they're like, well, if you do, you can't, you can't come anymore. Cause this is a men's only space. And so I was like, bye, you know, but, um, then I moved to Savannah and, and almost immediately had older men, you know, soliciting me. The first time I did sex work, I was 18 years old. A guy I met on AOL, you know, from North Carolina, I was visiting New York City, and he took me to the Olive Garden in Times Square, which was like, I thought that was so fancy. Um, and then paid me afterwards for sex. And I was like, Oh, well, I'm okay, you don't have to pay me. But from then on, I was just addicted to it. You know, it was just such easy, easy money. And um, all the boys that were at, at Billy's house were all engaged in some form of prostitution too. So there was like a clubhouse effect to it. I was just going to say, that's what the kids have to look forward to. Um, they, they almost every single male to female engages in sex work. Now these are male bodied people. They don't have jobs. They go on OnlyFans. They go, you know, on Twitter and promote themselves. They go on TikTok and promote themselves. There was a child uh, who I feel like his name was Corey. Um, I could, I'll find out, but was the darling of the left transitioned at 12. As soon as he turned 18, he started making adult content and he ended up getting like a hundred thousand followers. His mom actually transitioned from female to male at the same time. They're kind of known for transitioning together. Um, I feel like his name is Corey Langdon. I think I, I, I'll have to look it up, but that kid makes porn now. Yeah, and I thought transition did. was going to save him from, you know, this life. And it actually just led him right into it. And, you know, if you're an adult and you want to engage in sex work, that's fine, but you shouldn't be promoting it to kids as, you know, like affirming and empowering. And it's like, no, every, everyone I know that does it is it's, I'm still haunted by things that I did to make like $300, you know? And I'm just like, God, thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for like covering me with the blood of the lamb and taking that away from me, but like never let me forget. So I know how important it is to to turn from that. But you have to live the life in order to know that it's wrong. And that's what, um, that's what the community doesn't want you to see. They don't want you to know that. Right. 
I was I was going to ask because you personally um, went through 20 years of transitioning. Um, what do you think is the biggest medical challenge that you have now? Because one of the biggest myths out there is that all of these hormones that kids are taking that don't naturally exist in their body are not doing um, long term damage. And we know that uh, most of it is unknown, or it's just not true, because there is damage being done. So you personally, what would you say is the biggest um, medical issue that you have facing you? Um, absolutely. I, I took uh, Premarin for like three and a half, almost four years. I took spironolactone, which a doctor friend of mine said a person like he would only prescribe that to someone for about a year because of the irreparable damage to the bladder that it can do. I took that for 11 years. Um, I took synthetic estradiol injectables. I took pills. I did pow uh, patches, um, you know, on top of all the other illicit things that I put in my body at the time because I was so disassociated from reality that I constantly needed to just check out. Um, they told me I was at a lower risk for prostate cancer, heart disease, cardiovascular cancer when I was starting to transition. And now we're finding out that I'm actually at a higher risk of it, which is why I initially didn't want to take the vaccine, but I had a lot of pressure. So I did end up getting that first dose and, and, um, that's all I ever got. And we'll see now if I die of myocarditis, I'm not. I'm not too worried about it because if I have five minutes left on this, on this earth, I want to make sure I get as much of this out before it's too late, you know? Um, yeah. And, you know, now I take synthetic testosterone. So there's no, there's no telling what that will do to my body. Um, on top of that, I have definite urethral damage from the surgery that I got. Um, that's something I'll deal with for the rest of my life. You know, anyone that advocates for anyone to get what they call bottom surgery that hasn't had it themselves is psychotic. And the people that have had it and are, you know, promoting it to other people to get it, they're 100% delusional. And they most likely have never seen a female vagina anyway, um, which I think there's a lot of autogynephilia in the modern trans movement. And, you know, their concept yeah. of what a vagina is, is basically just through pornography and two-dimensional imagery. And then when you have basically a, a, a sewing project that some doctor put together for you out of other parts of your body, you're going to be living with a lifetime of issues. And so many of these trans women, I'm going to get a little real here, are completely fucking out of their minds. They're 100% delusional on the idea that like, well, trans women get yeast infections at the same rate cis women do. I don't think that's true. Um, I'm pretty sure that like the, the scrotum was never designed to be an internal type of skin, or if it was, it would be a different type of skin, but it's an external skin. So you can't turn external skin inside out without a myriad of bacterial issues, you know? And, um, yeah. And even, even some of the trans women I know that have had it and they say like, oh, it's perfect. They still have to douche with like betadine, you know, or they still have to do like constant, like weird rinse outs and all there's, there's always some issue, you know? And I, I mean, yeah, to tell, to tell a child that it's a special little surgery and it's no big deal and you just get it and then you'll be good. That's literally demonic. And, and it's incredibly reckless because kids believe adults. They believe, they believe anything that you say. They're like, yeah, okay. I trust this yep. person. 
and you know it makes me crazy i i get i get my like tiktok live privileges revoked all the time because i will speak about this but i have to do it in a coded way and even the coded way upsets the little tras enough to come in and and try to shut it down but it's absolutely psychotic you know i know some people that have had the female to male phalloplasty and that is as equally horrific i mean Mm -hmm. to see it in real life and to see like skin missing here and then big patches from the thighs because they take skin here to make a penis and then they have to take a graft from the thigh to put it here and then they have to take another graft from this thigh and spread it open like a cheese grater and put it on the other thigh and so you're just you know left with this body that's like oh my god just wear a strap on like what in the heck you know but (laughs) But that's totally become normalized Whoa. by big pharma. That's become normalized yeah. it's by all about the money. trans rights. It's all about the money. That's where it all comes from. And and guess who pays for that? All of us. You know, I know yeah. somebody who had it and, and had to have multiple revisions. And I think it was like $700,000 that the taxpayers of the state of California paid for this. And um, I just don't think that's right. You know, as a as a like former anti i'm still anti-government like big government but like as a former you know i don't want the government to have anything to do with me it's like i sure as hell don't want to be working at dollar general to have to pay for this you know like my my tax i'm already taxed enough that i don't no if i can't pay for like a you know someone to get their teeth fixed why should i pay for a man to get a boob job you know, it's, it's psychotic. Right. And anyone that says that is automatically called a bigot these days, but I'm just so over it. Like, yeah. Okay. Then we're bigots. Big deal. If that's what you think, call us names. That name means nothing anymore. You know? Um, yeah. I got called, I got called a Nazi the other day at the, uh, like this, you know, total TRA in my face, screaming, pushing people around from the gays against groomers rally on Saturday calling me a Nazi and, you know, a murderer. And I just laughed at him. You know, I just laughed. Um, because what can I, do? I yeah. love that. I love that. Um, we, we were I think the laughing we've made gone more to bad. a few protests. It does. Like, as long as you're cool and collective and smile the whole time, like that pisses them off more than anything because they're so affected by what others say about them it makes them lose their mind when somebody's unaffected by what they're saying about them. They're like, what, what? This drives me crazy. How is this not driving you crazy? <laughs> like, oh my goodness, right? Uh, people just uh, like that are uh, very easily, uh, you know, disturbed for no good reason. I was at the uh, worldwide uh, rally here in Florida. Uh, uh, Amy said you were there in uh, Arizona. Um, I'm sure mm-hmm. you met up with Judith and uh, saw them. Well, I uh, was in the Tucson one. The Tucson one? They were I at don't... the Tempe. Oh, were they? Okay. I like. I didn't know how many were happening. I know that we were having one in Tampa, and then we have one in Fort Lauderdale. Uh, so, But yeah, thank you for coming out and showing your support because it's people like us that you know, have a story that can actually help others. And it's so important that people speak out. So thank you so much for what you do. That's so true. 
it was great to see like not just not just um people in gays against groomers we had you know a bunch of different organizations we had local ones i'm sure you guys did too um it was just great to see like in the couple hours we were out there we got maybe 15 to 20 middle fingers you know, mm-hmm. and then the one one psychotic lunatic who had had maybe a couple too many mimosas at brunch. Um, but we had hundreds and hundreds of people beeping the horn, waving. You know, we even had people come back around the block and to do it again, you know, and that was so cool. So I really do believe that on a on a um, cultural scale, like like the greater community of America is against this crap. But it's the, you know, the, 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 the loudmouth tryhards that are trying to push this down everyone's throat as if it's normal. And I think we just keep pushing back and saying, no, you're not normal. And not like that's not mean. That's just real. You know, it's not normal to tell a child they yeah. should cut their penis off. You know, that's psychotic. And anyone that's doing that, I don't yeah. know if that's a groomer, but that's literally that that that, that person is uh, should definitely have you know a flag up. Like, who the hell's telling these kids mm-hmm. to cut off their breasts, to cut off their penises? You know. See, um, I was always confused by the fact that um, I, I was a cutter from very young age, uh, probably the third grade, uh, and I wouldn't stop doing it until I was well into my thirties, and. Uh, but no one ever went, Jana, I know it makes you feel better to cut. So just continue to cut. It's perfectly normal. It's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. You know, and like, what's the difference between me mutilating myself and then me letting a doctor mutilate somebody? Like, there's no difference. Like, you know what I mean? You, so true. you, you are perfect just the way that God created you. You know, you don't need to change anything. Uh, and you don't need to hurt yourself to, to, you know, make yourself feel like you're, you're, you're getting better through that. Uh, so it, it, it's always been shocking to me because, uh, I, I luckily have people that love me enough to be like, you know, Jana, you don't have to do that. You know, and, and it wouldn't be until I was convinced that I didn't have to do that, right, uh, before I would take any action and stopping that behavior. But, uh, you know, I can't imagine if somebody had been encouraging that behavior, if I would even be here today. So uh, yep. I, 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 I totally get it. So, um, Austin, we are we would definitely love to have you back, but um, I want you to tell people, tell people where they can find you social media wise, where can they hear your story? Cause there's so much more to it. Um, And I want people to go and see everything that you're sharing because it's so vulnerable and it's so courageous and then share that with the world too, because more and more people need to hear um, the stories that you are saying and your testimony. Thank you. Um, so where can they find you? Yeah, you guys can find me primarily on TikTok. My um, my main account is austin.unbridled. Um, I talk pretty much, I post a video every couple days. Um, this last week has been kind of slow because of all the other stuff going on. But um, I talk about this pretty much all the time on, on lives. We have a, a group of people who are either... They have walked away from transition. They desisted from transgender ideology or they detransitioned. 
Um, we have some former non-binaries. Uh, we have a group of people that are forming a collective on TikTok. Uh, I won't say the name yet, but it's uh, it's all people that left um, for to follow Christ, to say like, you know what, I'm not gonna, we don't have any problem with gay people. We don't have any problem with trans people. It's just like, this didn't work for me. I thought it did. It doesn't work for me. I'm going to follow something greater than the self. I'm going to follow something greater than the flesh. So we're working on that. That's a big project. I'm, I'm really excited to be a part of that. Um, but I have a Twitter. It's Unbridled Austin. Austin Unbridled was already taken by somebody. Um, Unbridled Austin. <laughs> and then um, I have a YouTube channel as well. Um, Austin Unbridled. And that YouTube channel has my GoFundMe on it. I'm trying to raise up money to get these breast implants out. We're, I'm about halfway paid off. Um, it's it's amazing. I just actually uh, booked my surgery date for December 4th of this year. So I got five weeks That's to go with these, you know, implants in me. And then, um, and then the future will be wide open from that. So, um, you know, don't feel like you have to donate, but if you feel compelled to, I would love it if you could share that because, um, you know, there's, if you go on GoFundMe, you'll see a thousand trans surgery things that go way above mm -hmm. the requested thing, but you'll only find like one or two detransitioners. And honestly, I'm trying to get that money out of there soon because I'm afraid they're gonna for hate speech or something, you know? So I want to get that yeah. out of there before they take that money away. Um, but, you know, God is good, and I just submit to him, and um, I'm going to use every day, every breath I have, I'm going to use to speak out against this. So I'm, I'm going to start a rumble, too, because I want to – there's stuff I can't say on YouTube, and I don't want to live where I can't speak clearly. So if I have to go to rumble, that's where we're going to go. But um, – and I just want to thank Well, that is really awesome to hear. Yeah, thank you guys for bringing awareness to this stuff. You know, there's not nobody wants to talk about detransitioners. You know, and even people in the in the in the in the LGBT community, it's like it challenges their narratives. So uh, I'm just so grateful that I've been through through the internet. I've been able to find other people who feel specifically other males that every single person in this male detrans group that I'm in was molested as a child. Every single person. There's not even a single person that's like, nope, not me. And there's, there's over a hundred people in that group. So uh, that tells you something right there. Um, I'm telling you, there is a big correlation uh, with it. And I keep seeing it. And I would love somebody to start collecting data on this. I wish I had the time to do it, but I see it. Um, and it makes so much sense because children who are molested are hypersexual so of course they are going to, if they don't get the help that they need. And like I posted a video this morning on my IG um, and stats around there for every thousand sexual assaults that happen, only 310 are reported. Um, and children, I was wow. that child. I was that child that never told my parents until I was 20. So I basically internalized that trauma I lived with it. And I mean, you know, the shame, the guilt that you carry, you know, and I, I look back and I think, had there been people in my life that were ultra liberal and saw that there, there were some male presenting tendencies with me, had there been somebody that would have uh, latched onto that and then just ran with it? I mean, where would I be today? You know, what, what would I look like today? But 
that unresolved internal trauma, I'm, there is a direct correlation with it. And I'm so appreciative for people like you who are not afraid to speak about that. Um, because, because I know how challenging and how difficult it can be. And I am super excited when you guys get this group together, I would love to have you guys back on. We would love to have, um, other people in that, in your little group and your community to come back on and continue to share the stories. And I am definitely going to make sure to share all of your, um, information, your YouTube channel and your GoFundMe. And I look forward to, Thank uh, you, so much. you continuing down that journey. And, you know, it's, it's gotta be an incredible release for you to be able to finally feel like you're comfortable in your own skin again, you know? So it really does. I mean, it's a, it's a sense of peace. Thank you so much for coming on here. Uh, I I'll be honest with you. I had no, no idea uh, about your story. I think, uh, I had seen you come across my, my, uh, my TikTok a few times, but it's about a, been about a year since I really have been scrolling on TikTok. I randomly make videos, but most of it's for my Instagram. Uh, and, uh, so I, I just don't have the opportunity to, uh, to watch videos as much as I, I would like. But I'm very grateful that I got to hear your story. It really blessed my heart today because uh, there's nothing better than uh, seeing somebody uh, that went through so much tragedy and and found the will to find the light on the other side of the tunnel. You know, and uh, it, it's a beautiful thing to me personally. Uh, because I can relate to it a lot. Uh, I might not be a a, you know, like a, a trans person, but I had made myself into something that I don't think God would want me to be. He didn't call me to be, you know, so uh, that relation uh, for the detransitioning and the transitioning with you, like I, I could relate to it a lot, you know, and I think a lot of people could, like just because uh, you're labeled trans doesn't mean that you, uh, have these unique feelings that nobody else could possibly have and no struggles that nobody else could possibly be struggling with when that's the furthest from the truth. We are all uniquely different, but we are all uniquely the same and we need one another in order to grow. Uh, especially, you know, uh, when you're talking about, you know, God's love, you know what I mean? Like, that's what we're here for is to, you know, uh, support each other and love each other. And I was just really taken back by your story. And I'm really grateful that, you know, you came on and, and told me, told us about it. It's, I appreciate it. Well, thank you, Austin, again, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Um, I God love you. you. Yes. God bless you too. And I want more people to be like Austin, be the change that you want to see in this world. Yes.